Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is a senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here is Pastor Michael Huffman. God's Word. And turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And if you're able, out of respect for God's Word, please stand as we read our text uh, one more time. Just a few verses, uh, but uh, real quick verses. But uh, in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9, Jesus says this, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray. Father. Teach us, Lord, your word this morning. We praise you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. I think that Christians, that we need to reevaluate our relationship to the world and to sin. Because I find sometimes, folks, I don't know about you, but in my own life, I find sometimes it's way too easy for believers to get caught up in the practices of the world and then spend spend much time justifying their actions. You kind of sit and wonder sometimes, why is this so important that, that that Christians believe or feel that it's so imperative that they, quote-unquote, rub shoulders with the world? Why is it that so many believers feel that they need to walk right up to the edge of the, the line that separates Christianity and the world and feel like that they need to walk up and stop right at that line? Why is it so many believers allow the world to determine how they behave instead of the other way around. Because it should be troublesome to all of us to to see, to watch believers who, who dabble in the world and who dabble in the things that truly do not separate them from the world. Now folks, I'm not talking about people in the church that think they're on a greater scale than those that are outside of the church, those that are unsaved. I am talking about the people within the church being different, being sanctified, being holy, being what God called us to be. And I believe that part of the problem of why we have so many worldly Christians is because we have so many churches that are involved in worldly worship. And then when that worldliness is carried out in the name of worship, Folks, listen, that arms the members of the church with nothing to fight the battle of the flesh. 
Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3? He says, that which is flesh is flesh. And if your worship in your church is fleshy, then that is what will be produced in your life as a believer because the only thing the flesh can produce is what, church? More flesh. Now, to be honest and fair, it is not just in that kind of worship environment that those fleshly appetites are created. But when that is the case, and then you have believers that dabble with the things of the world that exacerbates the problem. Now, we all fight the flesh, don't we? All of us. We all fight the, what, the, what the scriptures call the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. All of us. We fight it sometimes on, on such a large scale just because we belong to Christ and we're, and we're fighting the rotten corpse of the, the dead old man that's still attached to us. But then to top it all off, in, in addition to that, we add to that issue by believing that it is okay for some reason to dabble with the world as long as we don't go too far. You know, walk up to the line, but don't go over it. And the problem with that, folks, is most of the time we run toward that line head on with everything that we're worth, and we try to stop right at that line that divides Christianity in the world. But folks, listen, when you run headlong as a mom and dad to that dividing line, so are your kids. And you may, and when you try to stop, the momentum of your kids pounds you and you both go over and then you wonder how you got there. We are called as people of God to stay as far away from that dividing line as possible. It's the old cliche, in the world but not of it. For those of you who think that you can dabble with the world and with its philosophies and with its practices as long as you don't go too far, let me remind you of what Solomon said. And you all know the, life that's, the lifestyle that Solomon lived. And Solomon in his wisdom said this in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 27. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Listen to me, church. You play with fire, you're going to be burned. And so are your kids. You dabble with fire, you're going to be burned. And so are your kids. So are your grandkids. You dabble with the world, and eventually you'll go too far. You compromise a little, and then eventually you'll find yourself compromising a lot. And what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. As believers, the Apostle John gives us this clear-cut command in first john chapter 2 beginning in verse 15 he says love not the world neither the things that are in the world now get this next phrase if any man love the world if any person has a strong affectionate bond for the system of the world what's he say the love of the father is not in him you cannot have a strong, affectionate bond to the system of the world and think you belong to Christ. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
The Apostle Paul says very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's just not the person, but that's the practices of the world, right? Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? Listen, if you belong to Jesus Christ tonight, today, and you're called to walk in righteousness, you have no reason and you have no point being dabbling around with those things that are unrighteous. Right? Come on, church. If we're going to be called by the name of Jesus Christ and we're going to walk in righteousness, so we say, we have no business dabbling with those things that even have a hint of unrighteousness. And what communion, he says, has light with darkness. And then he says this in verse 17, Come out from among them and be ye what? Separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Listen, church, if we spend our time listening and heeding the world, the world only gives that which is worldly, right? In John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 5, they are of the world, therefore they speak of the world. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, John says this, For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. The Apostle Paul said it best in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, folks, that's where it starts. It starts in the mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Folks, listen, Christ did not die to redeem us that we might continue to follow the dictates of the world. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, who gave himself for our sins for this purpose that he might deliver us from the present evil world. Our lives need to be, folks, as believers, a constant seeking of God. In Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Let me give you an additional verse that I don't have a slide for, but you know the verse. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, the first psalm that is chronology in the Bible says this, Blessed or happy, Psalm 1, verse 1, and I want you to notice the progression here. Happy or blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Listen, folks, you play with the world, you walk with the world, then you're going to find yourself standing with the world, and then you're going to find yourself sitting with the world. What's that mean, preacher? That means you start dabbling with the world, you'll start justifying the world, and then you'll start doing what the world does that's the progression. And I have seen it and you have seen it as, as Christians so many times in our lives. We've seen our young people start with the progression of dabbling with the things of the world and next thing you know they're doing them because that's the progression. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
He says, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Those two phrases both speak about in the original language, the homosexual community. One is the active, one is the passive partner. So it takes in both. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice what he says in the next verse. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says, listen, here's a whole list of those people that will not inherit the kingdom of God if they repetitively live in this type of lifestyle. And Paul says, but you were those people. Notice he did not say, you are. You are. You are drunkards. You are homosexuals. You are liars. You are thieves. No, he says, you were these things. Because why, folks? We are called to be different And by our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, we should desire to be different. And some of them come along and say, well, and I've actually had people say this to me, well, I have liberty. Right? I can do whatever I want in Christ because I have liberty. Yeah, that's true. But Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, not only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Yeah, you've got liberty, but don't use it as an excuse to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You have not been granted liberty, church, so that you can go out here and walk just just as close to the line of the world as you can go. And it's to this end that Jesus Christ addresses this last part of the prayer. I'm going to put up the outline for you that we've looked at so far. And I'm not going to go there and I'm not going to discuss any of this. You can go on our podcast and get the past sermons on those. But that's, that's the, as the prayers outlined thus far. But I want us to look at number six, God's protection. God's protection. Look at it, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this part of the model prayer has over the years been a cause for misunderstanding as to what exactly the Lord is referring. Let me tell you, first of all, what what the text cannot and is not saying. The Greek word temptation there that you see is, is kind of in its meaning is kind of a neutral word in its usage. And it's translated in the, in the English roughly three different ways. Temptation, trial or testing. The root meaning of the Greek word there has to do with trying or testing uh, and comes from and really means to test. Now, let me be very clear about one thing. That the holiness and the goodness of God will never cause him to lead anyone and certainly not one of his children into sinful indulgences and wickedness. The word of God is clear on this church. James chapter 1 verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And we are assured from the words of James that when you are tempted to sin, that it is not the Lord leading you into that temptation. 
God does not ever actively lead somebody down a path and dangle the proverbial carrot in front of them, leading them into temptation as an enticement to do evil. This is not what happens when you sin. And let me hasten to say this. It's not the devil either. It's not the devil either. Somebody will say, well, if it's not Christ and it's not the devil... Why do I struggle with sinful patterns in my life? That's a fair question, isn't it? Glad you asked. Why do I struggle with these sinful patterns of my life? James chapter 1 verse 14 says this, gives us the answer. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his what? Own lust and enticed. Listen, church, you are not tempted to sin because of some mass campaign of the Lord to entice you into a sinful situation just to show you what you're made of. Neither are there necessarily the acts of the devil that entice us to sin. Many times in your life, I know I've heard people say, and maybe you've said it, I'm sure I have, Boy, I'm really struggling over the sin in my life. Boy, I'm really struggling over this sinful pattern. Boy, I'll tell you one thing, the devil is sure it's giving me a fit. And the problem with that type of thinking is this, is that it leads us into despair that we can ever get victory over that sin because, listen, church, the devil isn't going anywhere yet. And if Satan is not going anywhere yet and he is the cause of my temptation to sin, then by necessity and by common sense, I'm bound to continue to struggle with sin and temptation. And then once that attitude has set in, then the fight for righteousness seems to die down because, you know, if I can't win, why try? I'll just ask for forgiveness. But church, I want you to understand, that's not what James says is the source of our temptation. He says in verse 14 again, when he is drawn away of his own lusts. Folks, listen, it's not the Lord and it's not necessarily Satan, but it is what? It is the lust in your own heart that causes you and I to sin. Listen, when a man looks at a woman, for example, that is immodestly dressed, and then he begins to lust after her, that man says, man, why did the devil put those thoughts in my head? Listen, the devil didn't put those thoughts in your head. Those thoughts in your head started in your heart. That's where they started. The devil didn't come up to you and open your brain and pour those thoughts into your head. They were already here, and they just had to make a short trip. That's what James is saying. The devil didn't cause you to lust after her. It was the thoughts and the tents of your heart. And that's really what we could say about all the sins of our lives, isn't it? It is the lust that is already there that causes us to be tempted. Listen, it's not the devil that causes you to go to a computer and go to a website that you have no business looking It is not the devil that causes you to go to the magazine rack at the bookstore and pick up a book that you shouldn't be reading. It's not the devil that does that. It's the lust that's already in your heart. Now, the devil may give you opportunity to fulfill it, no doubt. But it is the lust, James says, that's already in your heart. Notice that James does not say that every man sins when he's drawn away of his own lust. James says every man is what, church? Tempted. That's the good news, isn't it? That's the good news. As I read, as I read, read that verse this past few couple weeks, I had myself a fit because that's the good news. Because what does that mean? You say, preacher, how is that good news? It's good news by this. Because listen, if I'm only tempted, then that doesn't mean I have to give in. 
I don't have to give in to the lust of my heart. I don't have to give in to the desires of my heart. I don't have to give in to the sinful pleasures of my heart. If it was the devil that was the source, victory would seem to be impossible. But we have the ability and we have the strength by the power of the Spirit of God to overcome the lust of our hearts. And so when we ask in our model model prayer, when we ask for God's protection, when we ask the Father, lead us not into temptation, what does that mean? If the Father is not the one that leads us into temptation, then why ask the Father not to lead us into temptation? Christ here is not speaking of logic. And he's not speaking of theology. But listen, here's what he's speaking. He is speaking of a heart's desire and an inclination that causes a believer to want to avoid the trouble and danger that sin creates. It is the expression of the redeemed soul that so despises and fears sin that it wants to escape all the prospects of falling into it. Choosing rather to avoid the temptation than to fight it. And really what we're praying, we're praying in such a way as we pray right here. Father, I just trust myself. You know, there's one person in the world that I distrust more than anybody. And he's in this building right now. You know who that is? Me. Me. I don't trust myself as far as I can throw myself. Because I know my flesh. And when we honestly look, church, at the power that sin has in us, and when we truly realize our weaknesses and our sinful propensities, we should shudder at the danger of temptation. And this petition is a plea to God to provide for us what we cannot give ourselves. It is a, it's an appeal to God to watch over our eyes, to watch over our ears, to watch over our mouth, to watch over our feet and hands. That in whatever we see, whatever we hear, wherever we say, in whatever place that we go, and whatever we do, God protect me from temptation. But we also understand that God tests us through trials of life, doesn't he? Jesus is really given kind of a twofold meaning here. There are many times that God's people, we face in our lives things that we could potentially cause us to get so angry with God and to begin to blame God for the pain, right? We understand that God allows those trials in our lives, that they are meant to grow us spiritually, morally, and emotionally. And we have no desire to be in a place where even that trial could give us the potential to sin. And in this petition, we are not only told by Christ to ask the Father to protect us from the evil that the lusts of our hearts produce by asking our Father to protect us from those temptations, but we're also asking our Father to protect us in those temptations and trials of life to protect us from the proclivity to blame God for the bad things in our lives and sin by accusing Him falsely. God, Father, 
protect me from the temptation to do evil. Father, protect me from the temptation to wrongly accuse you. Because as believers, we want to be free from both, don't we? It's like, you know, you remember Joseph in the Old Testament. He said in Joseph chapter 50 and verse 20 to his brothers, he says, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto what? Good. Good. But let's be real. We're uncertain. We're uncertain that we will be completely submissive and dependent on God, aren't we? And the implication of the prayer, this section of the prayer that the Lord gives us, Lord, Father, don't ever lead me and lead us into a trial that would present such a temptation that I'll not be able to resist it. That's how you pray. Lord, Father, protect me today. And please do not lead me into a trial that will be so severe that I will not be able to resist it. It's like praying the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. But God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful, who will never suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of an escape that you may be able to bear it. You know, we know that we will never arrive spiritually and that we will never be free from the dangers of sin until we are with the Lord. Martin Luther said this, we cannot help being exposed to the assaults, but we pray that we may not fall and perish under them. Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. But also understand that is to sincerely pray it, that way is to submit to the word of God, which is only, your only protection over sin. In James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, folks, submitting to God means submitting to his word. If you're not submitting to the word of God, then you're not submitting to God himself. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. As believers, we pray that God would keep us from the overwhelming solicitation of sin that's from the lust that's within our own hearts, both in practicing evil and in blaming God for our trials. But we pray by submitting to God in our trials, by submitting to his word, God will get the glory in our lives. And when we fall into sin, he says what? Deliver us. Deliver us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you know what that says literally in the Greek? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from Satan. Father, deliver us from Satan. Deliver us both from the solicitation of sin, the temptation of sin, and deliver us from blaming you falsely for our trials of life. In a cursed world, John MacArthur says, we are battered by evil all around us. We confess our inadequacies to deal with evil. We confess the weakness of our flesh and the absolute impotency of human resources to combat sin and rescue us from its clutches. Above all, we confess our need for the protection and deliverance from our Heavenly Father. When we pray this way, taking the words of Jesus Christ in Arabic, because he would have said, Abba, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, we pray this way. Daddy, isn't that good? 
Dad, I hate the sin in my life. And I would rather avoid the temptation than fight it. I do not want to be tempted to commit evil. I do not want to be tempted by, to sin by blaming you for the pain in my life. I long to submit to you by submitting to your word. Dad, deliver me from the power and the corruption of sin. And we also understand, folks, that's not some magical prayer, is it? You can't pray that way and then continue things the way it have always been and expect that there's not going to be a, uh, expect that there's going to be a change in the struggle. You must avoid temptation. You must avoid temptation. You must make no provision for the flesh. And you should structure your life in such a way that it becomes harder for you to sin. That's your responsibility. Let me give you an example real quick. Children become irritable when they don't get enough sleep, right? You adults do too. I know I do. I get mean as old bar when I don't get enough sleep. So if you're prone to foul moods, if you don't get enough sleep, don't pray for a sweeter disposition. Go to bed. Listen, you can pray all day for a sweeter disposition, but if you stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning, you're not going to be sweeter. You can pray for a sweeter disposition, but then get yourself some sleep. Don't ask the Father to keep you from temptation and then put yourself in a place of temptation. And you do that by submitting to the Word of God and therefore submit to God. John Calvin said this, but the worshiper knows, I'm sorry, D.A. Carson, but the worshiper knows his own weakness and in this prayer seeks to be kept far from anything that would bring him to sin. John Calvin said this, we conclude from this petition that we have no strength for, a li for living a holy life except so far as we obtain it from God. Whoever implores the assistance of God to overcome temptation acknowledges that unless God deliver him, he will, constantly, he will be constantly falling. We pray, Father, we're weak in the flesh. I would rather not have the temptation than to fight, deliver me from this evil, and then put yourself in a position, folks, that makes it harder to sin. Don't pray that God deliver me from pornography, deliver me from the temptation of pornography, and then sit yourself down on the World Wide Web in front of a computer. You might have to throw the computer outside. You need to put yourself in a position that makes it harder to sin. Father, give me, help me over this temptation over drinking. Well, then don't bring booze into your house. Make it harder for you to sin. Make it easy to, for God to protect you. God lead us not into temptation. And then God's preeminence. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What a fitting ending to this passage. Those are the words of an absolute beautiful doxology. 
declaring the preeminence of God as seen in the greatness of His eternal kingdom and His power and His glory. It's reminiscent of 1 Chronicles 29-11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and the earth is Thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all. And to the listeners of Christ on that day, on the Mount of Olives, these would have been fitting words. You see, folks, you begin to pray and you end prayer with the praise of the majestic person of God. In the beginning of the prayer, we remember God. And at the end of the prayer, we remember God. And right as we get to the end of that prayer, we say, Father, keep me from temptation. You know, I know the lust of my own heart. I know the wickedness and I know the, I know the frailty of my own heart. Father, keep me from that temptation. I'd rather not fight it. I'd rather not fight it. Keep me from that temptation. That's what you're praying. Father, I don't want to blame you for my pain. I don't want to blame you for my hurt, the things I don't understand. Father, keep me from the temptation, not only of evil, but keep me from the temptation of blaming you falsely. And then church, put yourself in a position where it becomes harder for you to yield to that temptation. What a prayer. What an absolute prayer, wonderful prayer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for this model that you've given us. And Father, we don't claim to have in the time even that we've spent in this prayer, we don't claim to understand it. Father, we ask you that you would continue to teach us. That you continue, Father, to drive these truths home in our hearts. Father, we would rather not fight temptation as those of us who were born again by the Spirit of God, we were indwelt by your Holy Spirit, we'd rather not fight the temptation. Deliver us from it. And then may we submit to your word and submit, by, submit to you by submitting to your word and then thereby putting ourselves in a position to make sin harder. You know, Father, we give ourselves so many good opportunities to do evil. Help us to change that today. Maybe you would say this morning to the Lord, Father, help me not to blame you Deliver me from the sinful lust of my heart. Deliver me from any blame that I would falsely hurl at you. And then God's postscript, he turns around and comes again and says, in verse 14 and 15, you say, if, you, if we forgive, God will forgive us. If we don't forgive, God will not forgive us. Father, help us to be forgiving because Jesus saw the greatest impediment to sinfulness in our life is unforgiveness. He mentioned that twice in this prayer. 
But we'll look at that next time, Father. Help us to be faithful servants of you. We praise you for your glory and your majesty. In Christ's name, amen.